Let's continue in prayer. Father God, would you use this time, this preacher, and your word, living word, to write your word on our hearts and our feet. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. We are uh, walking through now Joseph's part of Genesis, the amazing technicolor journey. And last week, I want to do a review from last week. We talked about a, a trail that I've walked many times. It's a long trail through the woods in Michigan. It seems idyllic from this picture, but we would walk it with children. And as we would walk it, um, those children would get kind of frustrated with the length of it. But it ended... I'm going backwards, not forwards today. It ended at the lake, which I don't have anymore here. (laughs) Hang on, bear with me. There we go, we're going backwards. We're going to make it, we're going to make it. There it is, at the lake. Let me ask you these questions that we asked Sunday. Because our series now, as we finish up Genesis, is what was meant for evil. Has anything been meant for evil in your life to you? And the answer is obviously yes. It's not just a rhetorical question. It's a question to get you to think about those things where somebody tried to hurt you or some evil force, including the devil, brought something into your life, but that God has redeemed that. Have you had that experience? We've all had the experience of evil meant for us. Have we seen it redeemed? In Genesis 50, the punchline to the book of Genesis is this. You intended to harm me. Joseph speaking to his brothers. They threw him into a pit. They sold him to Egyptian slave traders. They told his dad he was dead. They very much wanted to kill him. It was only the intervention of the Holy Spirit that changed things. And that's what Joseph says. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The whole nation of Israel was saved from starvation by the events that started with an evil act. Redeemed by the Lord. And this takes a much bigger picture when we look at the cross. This is our story as Christians. So important to understand because many people come in here questioning how can a good God live and be God in a world where there's evil. And let's remind ourselves that evil and pain are two different experiences. Not all pain is evil. And not all evil is painful. That is a huge distinction. That helps me be a disciple. Because some evil we initially experience as pleasure and think it good. Amen? But later discover it's hurtful or deadly. Most of the things we get addicted to are in that category. Likewise, some pain and suffering we later realize brings blessing. Amen? You responded a lot better to Josh. than I was a little jealous. You were shouting out things. The difference is perspective. Who gets to set the perspective? If we are only reacting to what happens to us, we will live nasty, brutish, and bitter lives. But if we see them in the plan of God where there is redemption, things make sense. Acts of evil can be brought by others to be be malicious. Some are brought by accident, neglect, and ignorance. Some evil and pain are consequences of what we've done. And some come via natural and supernatural world we do not control or understand. There is a prince of this world who hates God and therefore us. But all of it, whatever the cause, happens within the sight, 
the care and the allowance of God. He let Joseph go into a pit. He let Jesus be whipped. In fact, he sent him for that. Please keep that in your, in your mind, your trigonometry as you add your life up. God is good, and he allows it. Why? Because a good God made us a people with true selves who can choose to follow or not follow. Amen? Who can choose to bless or curse? Who can choose to drink and drive or not? And if we don't have that freedom, we cannot love. You cannot love if you don't have the option to not love. And acts of not love bring pain and suffering. So do acts of love. We are a people warned about boundaries, just like Eve, so we. We're invited to relationship, but we're free to walk towards ourselves, and we do, such that God has to say to all of us, where are you? Not that he doesn't know, but that we need to say, I'm not with you. I'm where you told me not to go. I have failure and pain in my life. And there's an evil tempter, too, who loves to bring it. Genesis begins the great unfolding story of God's plan of redemption. Though it was meant for evil by others, it wasn't by God, and God redeems it. It begins in God's good creation, in a good free-to-walk-away-from scenario that we've all experienced that shows us that we really are selfish and sinful and broken. And a plan of redemption begins with a broken people with Abraham and a family that leads us now to Jacob's son, Joseph, that will lead all the way to Jesus to show that God is going to triumph over evil in all its forms so that he makes us an offer that we choose. The curse is reversed by Jesus on the cross. Amen? All the punishment due the evil of the world was put on him at the cross. And them who believe it and receive it and put the blood over the doorpost. You see, this family is a template of how God wants to save you. Amen? Amen. And me. And he does it. Joseph is a shadowy template. He's not a perfect Christ. But watch for pictures of Christ to come in Joseph. He's a first taste of the bigger meal. He's a journey worth walking with. Okay, now, I'm gonna get, I should put on my Professor Frank <coughs> and talk to you about the uh, X and the Y axis here. But let's say your life is an experience, okay? Obviously. And the x-axis, that yellowish green, that's time. That's as you grow older, if you get that chance. The y-axis is the pleasurable things. Let's call those positives. So the x is zero over time. And the pain is the negative experiences. Now you understand these are events. And, and you can put your events in here. Something good happens in your life. You're born, you're family, but then there's divorce or there's pain or a child, or a brother, or a sister dies, or there's, right? there's hardships and hurts, and life feels rough, and it's in the negative zone, and you're suffering. And someone comes alongside you, but you're still suffering. And then suddenly, you meet someone, you learn a career, some, something lifts you up, you come to Christ, perhaps. You have some event that brings you upwards, and, and, and things begin to make sense, and there's a family, and there's, there's a future and a hope. And then maybe there's a divorce or a death or a loss of business, or a betrayal. Amen? Does this feel like your life? The ups and downs? And maybe there's a rebound, and there's retirement, but then 
there's retirement. <laughs> and there's aches and there's pains and your hip falls off and just terrible things happen. And life starts to really, duh, right? So it ends badly, right? So we have nothing to look forward to. Oh, Kirk, thank you. Perfect. But that's seeing it in the classic XY axis. Professor Frank wants you to see it this way. All I've done is flip the same map. All I've done is change the perspective. What if there is no time? There's time here. There's time. We're, in the, we're in the universe, and in the universe there's gravity, mass, and time. But outside the universe in the Father's house, there is timelessness. God is light, timeless. All the principles of God are timeless. And this, like the book of Genesis, is a place where we learn about God. And if you see the pathway correctly, it's not up and down, positive, negative. It's keep walking. Cross at the top. And it ends where? In the Father's house. And that looks like a long path, doesn't it? If you see your journey as being on a path back home to the Father, it changes things. Amen? So uh, Professor Frank would say, <laughs> I um, reverse the axis. Okay? Nobody knows that. Are the Simpsons references old now? <laughs> Jerry Lewis, anybody? Okay, so think about your life differently. And what's the difference? The eternal perspective. Oh, God, flip me to where I see that this path ends at something better than the lake. And that though there are ups and downs and pains, it doesn't end just in a nursing home. It ends in heaven and everything can change. That's why we spend money to bring water wells. Amen? And hope and learn the word and grow younger in our spirit because we're headed home by virtue of Christ. You know, here's another diagram, and it goes down as a, as a, but you understand this is the same diagram. God bringing about a family through twists and through turns, and this family is despicable. They need a savior. That's the point, but it leads to Jesus Christ, and this map shows it down. We, we should do family trees that go up. Amen? Perspective. So let's read the scripture. Now that you have all that background, just this will plant in your heart. This will find root. Because we're talking about the brothers who threw Joseph into a pit. But God made that pit into a tunnel. And what's the difference between a pit and a tunnel? A tunnel is a pit with a way out. Amen? And has God turned your pits into a tunnel? When you say life's the pits, right? When you lay on a deathbed and you're sick with, with what will kill you, remember, it's not a pit. It's a tunnel. Now, Joseph's story is pit, tunnel, pit. <laughs> tunnel, pit, tunnel, pit, tunnel. His brothers are the ones who receive the glory from it or the benefit from it. So Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Why was he taken to Egypt? Because his brothers sold him into slavery. They wanted to kill him, threw him in a pit. Then they pulled him out and gave him to an Egyptian slave trader. Joseph was 17, so he would have been very attractive to a slave as a slave. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who'd taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. Now remember, every time God is with someone, they're blessed. God's promise is, I will be with you. The great comfort to Abraham, but I'll be with you. To Jacob, I will be with you. He even said it to Ishmael, I will be with you. 
Whether or not you recognize it will determine the trajectory of your spiritual life. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. One of the things you can pray for the people in Afghanistan and other places is that they'll find favor. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And that's how we're salt and light in the world. As you follow Christ, the Lord will bless you and those around you, not with prosperity, maybe, but with presence. And that is everything because we're headed home. The prosperity is part of the sideways motion. The forward motion is with the Lord. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. I think that scripture is to show us that that Potiphar had full trust in Joseph. It also shows us that Potiphar is a little bit of an idiot. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Bam, there it is. She doesn't care. Maybe Potiphar should be a little more aware. But Joseph refused. Let's assume that just as Joseph was beautiful and well-built, so was Potiphar's wife. In this culture... Joseph would be criticized. Not to me. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted. Notice his perspective. His perspective is, is, I'm working for Potiphar, not even for me. The times I sin in my life, I screw the perspective up, and I think, what can I get? And that's when I fall off. How about you? But Not Joseph. Joseph, for the first time in the book of Genesis, we're finding somebody whose character is so strong. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master's withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. What a view of marriage. Amen. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? No, God. Why? Because God loves Potiphar. God loves Joseph. God loves Potiphar's wife. When we sin against each other, we are always hurting the God who loves the other. Amen? If I do something to hurt you, I'm hurting God. If you do something to hurt me, you're hurting God. Which is not to just say, oh, and you're ruined. It's just to say, remember, we're dealing with spirits in bodies, not just bodies. People that God loves, even the wretchedest. And she spoke to Joseph day after day. He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Key point. He didn't hang around. Talk about that later. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak. It's always the coat that Joseph wears. Interesting. Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Nothing is worth that. I use this moment to to talk to you about a sermon that has blessed me in my life. When David sinned and took Bathsheba, who was Uriah's wife, the sin began with David out on his 
when he should have been at war, should have been doing his duties, out on his veranda, looking over, because he had the high house in town, and out um, taking a bath on her roof was Bathsheba. And David just stared at her, and he built up his lust and his longing. He lingered in that place, and any guy worth his salt knows this moment. Amen? And things go wrong when we linger, when we long. It ended in Uriah's murder. I mean, David did a despicable thing that started with lust. David thought he deserved it. He lost his perspective. David, who loved the Lord, who saw the Lord, who is in heaven today, sinned greatly because he, he flipped his map and it became about him. Joseph does the opposite. He fled. He left. And this is a great picture. Men, women, whatever tempts you, don't linger over it. Leave it. As soon as you recognize it, leave it. Drop it. Run. Flee. If it's a business that's leading you that way, leave it behind. If it's a phone, leave it somewhere else. Amen? Whatever it is, whatever has got you flipped over, run from it. Tell someone else that you're doing it too so they can hold you accountable. Well, Here's what happens. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew, oh, she went there. She made it racial to get their inclusion. This Hebrew has brought us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. It's a lie, but who's going to believe Joseph? He's back in a pit. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Look, evidence, the stinking cloak again. She kept his cloak beside her until her master came, his master came home. This, this comes to mind, too, about our discussion about lingering. Do not love the world or anything in the world. And this doesn't mean you can't love people. But do not love, do not long for, do not suffer for, agape love, anything that's, that's not going to heaven. If anyone loves the stuff not going to heaven, love for the Father is not in them. You mean I can't love the lake? Maybe not as much as you do. I mean, I can't love, maybe not as much as you do. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride. Can I appreciate creation? Absolutely. Can I love people? Absolutely. Can I work hard and build a life and use that life to be a blessing? Yeah, that's the right way for eternity. But these other lusts, the pride of life, man, that's just as big as lust. We talk about lust because it's easy. How about pride? Defensiveness. This come from not the Father, but the world, from Satan. Where does this evil come from? The tempter, from the self, the sin, flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil we fight against. The world and its desires will die. So much of your belly cravings will die with your body. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Joseph has this perspective. So she told the story to Potiphar. That Hebrew slave you brought came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, the wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. Potiphar burned with anger. Joseph's master, that'd be Potiphar, took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, where the king would say, as we learn with the, the bread maker and the cupbearer, uh, one lives, one dies. You'd have your head cut off in an afternoon. That's where, that's the pit that Potiphar sends 
And he had to know this was the character of his wife. Joseph, everything's in your care, and then suddenly nothing is. But while Joseph was there in the prison, what's the key words? The Lord was with him. It's never a pit when the Lord's with you. Earthly wise feels like a pit. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. Why? Because the Lord, this was the Lord's plan. Joseph is suffering because the Lord is calling him to suffer. Something like Jesus. And it's a deliberate, long-walked pathway with twists and turns, but he's never not in the will of God. Remember that. Some of the twists and turns in your life is because we're morons and we do stupid things, but God is with us and he'll straighten us out. Other twists and turns are God-ordained, and it's hard to tell the difference. But with the Lord, trust. And you'll see that the, you know, flip the tapestry over and you'll see the design. Well, the warden... Just like Potiphar realized this is a trustworthy man. This is a a man with integrity. And so he became somebody with um, influence in the jail. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. Again, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success. We, We have Emmanuel, God with us in Christ. So where are you on the magic carpet, on the amazing journey of your life? Do you see it from the perspective of heaven? Do you have a narrator in your head in the movie of your life? Not all of you are cinematic, but people like me who have anxiety, we sort of see our lives from outside. And so we see harms and dangers that other people don't see, which makes us slightly insane. But all of you, I think, have a narrator in your life. Is that narrator telling you good things or bad things? Is that voice in your head giving you the perspective of eternity or the perspective of the earth? That part of you, and we all have this, it says, I want the belly. Is it, what's that voice in your head? For in John 14, Jesus says we're headed to the Father's house and he will take us there. Do you know we all die on that journey? Whatever the twists and the turns flipped over, that journey is leading us toward Christ, but we can't walk to Christ. He takes us to himself. We'll die on the way, but the minute we die, Jesus says, I will take you to be with the Father so that we will be together. It's amazing. Amen. So what do we need for the trip? In John 5, 24, whoever hears my father's word and believes the one who sent me has crossed over from death to life. They've flipped the axis. It's no longer this death axis. It's this life path. John 6, 28, what is the work? What do we have to do to please God? What is the work God wants me to do? Believe in him and walk. Pack light. Where are we headed as a church, as a family, as children of God, as whatever place God has you, whether it's a pit right now or it's, it, it isn't a total pit, the minute you trust God. Where are we headed as a culture? You know what matters most? Where are we headed as a walker with Jesus and as a church? The rest can do what it does. I can tell you one thing where we're headed. We're headed to a table. And on this table, Jesus promises that whoever receives this bread drinks this cup will have eternal life for on the night that he was betrayed the passover night where they were celebrating that the jews the children of abraham isaac jacob and joseph were rescued by the blood put over a doorpost when john saw jesus he said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world the blood 
offered by the Lord. That Jesus celebrating that meal for maybe the 2,000th time in the history of mankind said, I am the bread. And as he broke that bread, he passed it out to his disciples and he said, take this and eat it. Do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whoever drinks this cup by faith, trusting, and eats this bread, proclaims that Jesus is Christ. This meal, Jesus said, do in remembrance of him. And so by tasting this juice, by eating this bread, we're acting out. We're remembering that by believing in Jesus, by receiving him, we are saved. We are headed home. We are in his plan. And so, beloved, you're invited to this table of grace. All around the world today, Christians are celebrating this table of grace to proclaim that Jesus is the way. If there's sin in your life, if there's something that's prevented you from seeing it straight, just confess it now to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I receive you as Savior. I believe you. And then you come and you receive this meal so that you can taste and see that what God has done is real. And then you'll see it work its way out as you walk the path of life. Let's pray. Father God, would you overcome these elements, this bread and this cup, and by your promise, by the work of your Holy Spirit to all who come forward to receive, that they would receive you according to John 6, true bread and true wine, true blood. You said, Jesus, unless a man receives me, he's not with me. And so we receive you by faith. This really is you. You are the bread of heaven, the manna, everything we need. And Father, thank you for your people, for this meal, and for our salvation through Christ. It's in your name that we pray it. Amen.